to 2 Peter. We're going to continue our study there. And y'all, he's dedicated, the, the Holy Ghost so saw fit to dedicate a whole chapter. This entire chapter of 22 verses is dedicated to a warning about false prophets. The Lord takes it seriously. Uh, it's not, I mean, it's all through the Bible, but you know, it's rare that you'd have maybe a whole chapter dedicated to that. It's a warning for the New Testament church and for believers, okay? And, and Peter, remember this, he knew, he said it earlier in this epistle, that he knew that he was soon to put off this earthly tabernacle. That means he was going to die and go be with the Lord. He says, even as the Lord had shown him. So he knew it was coming. And we talked about it also. When you know that your days are numbered and you have something to say, you're going to say it, especially to your children. Your children. And remember the Lord's, uh, pretty much His last commission for Peter was, if you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. And so He's feeding the sheep and He sees fit in, the, uh, in this last epistle, in the second to last chapter, and He'll continue it a little bit at the beginning of chapter 3, uh, to see fit to warn the believers about false doctrine not just false doctrine, but specifically he focuses on the false prophets who are bringing the false doctrine. Okay? And uh, again, th- this, would, this is something he said there were false, there, there were false prophets, prophets in the Old Testament and there are going to be false prophets. That is something that's not unique. It's, um, we have examples in the Bible, real life examples in Moses' day and, and stood against him and came against his ministry. And the people of God, the true prophets of God, are always going to have people that come against them. It's not just them, but against their message. But it certainly it will be against them as well. And they're going to have that uh, to combat with. They're going to have that to contend with. When Paul preached grace a lot of, uh, in a lot of places, salvation by grace through faith alone and not of works, he was opposed for that. When he preached, uh, others have preached different things of God. Uh, they're, they're opposed by the false and try to be supplanted by the false. Like, don't, don't listen to them, listen to me. Okay? Here's the real truth. And so, that's nothing new. It's going on. And, and you could almost compare this chapter, if you've ever studied this and studied Jude, uh, there's only one chapter in Jude, that uh, verses like four through. 19 or something of Jude are almost word for word of what Peter's saying here. And so it's obviously something that the Lord wants us to know. He, it's something He wants us to be aware of. And uh, A.W. Tozer said, uh, to be right with God often means to be in trouble with men. Okay, To be right with God often means to be in trouble with men. And that, that's nothing new, right? Jesus said to His disciples the night He was going to be betrayed, He says, if the world hates, me, hates you, know that it hated Me before it hated you. Right? And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, and I've called you out of the world, therefore the Word hates you. I've given you My Word, and the world has hated you. They hate us for the Word's sake, because that Word is salt and light. That word is truth and it speaks into darkness and it speaks against sin and it names it by name and it pinpoints it, the sin and the sinner and brings the judgment, uh, you know, and, and reveals the judgment of God upon it. And so because God has given us his word and that's what we're talking about, prophets and prophecy of the word that uh, to be right with God is going to be, mean to be wrong with God, with men. We saw that in Jeremiah's day, right? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You know, he's one of the biggest books in the Bible as far as the volume. And he wrote that in Lamentations and warning of the coming, coming judgment of Babylon upon the uh, Judah and upon Israel. And yet, uh, you know, every time he bring the prophecy, the, the king would throw it in the fire and burn it. They'd throw him in a pit. Some people rescued him out of the pit and he wrote it again and gave it to him, threw it in the fire again, burned it up, threw him in a pit again. Uh, to, and so this is nothing that's new. It's nothing that we should would wring our hands and, and, oh my goodness, what's going on? We shouldn't count it strange when that happens. It would be more strange if I, we, you and I were ministers of the Gospel and lived this life publicly and privately and openly before God genuinely and that we didn't face 
some type of persecution specifically for the word's sake. Remember that. It's not because you're a jerk or I'm a jerk or we're judgmental or rude or anything like that. If we're going to suffer, let it be for truth's sake. Let it be because Christ in us and the world doesn't want it. Okay? Many in the world don't want it. And certainly the God of this world. And so let's look at this. We're going to read three verses tonight. Second Peter chapter 2, 1-3. through three. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily or secretly or privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And that's where the the false prophecies end up finally. If you, they, they just come to their full conclusion. False prophecies, a little leaven, a little sin, a little false doctrine here. Oh, it's no big deal. Follow it out to its course, where it's going to end up. If it's left unrepented and left unchecked, that's where it's going to end. It's going to end in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift, swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious, that means lustful ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. We're going to talk about all this. We're just probably talk about those three verses tonight. So there's 22 verses in this chapter. They all deal specifically with the false prophet. He gives examples later that we'll look at next week of, of in, in uh, Lot's day and Noah's day and in Balaam and so forth. But right now, let's look at it. He ends chapter 1 that uh, with these true prophets in verse 21. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake. These were the true prophets of God. List them. You can lay out who they are. The ones that wrote the Scriptures that we have today that God chose to use. He chose to use, as we said, holy men of God. He didn't choose to write through a donkey or an oak tree or people that didn't know Him or something like that. He chose to write His Word and give it to men for all time. It's forever settled in heaven through men who knew Him and believed in Him and walked with Him. They weren't perfect, not one of them. All of them needed a Savior. Okay, But every one of them were holy men of God. And they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now contra- uh, contrast those, those are the true prophets of God, with the false. Well, that's what we're going to look at because that's what he starts with in this chapter. There were false prophets also among the people. So he's saying even among those true prophets that wrote the Old Testament, for example. There were false prophets as well. There were false prophets. Uh, in, in Micaiah's day. Remember that we, we spent some time talking about him, a whole sermon one time, and uh, it was wonderful. He was in, uh, Ahab was the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat uh, was the king of Judah. Jehoshaphat did fear God and walk with the Lord for the most part. And Ahab, of course, we know his sinfulness and idolatry. And uh, they called all the prophets and 400 of them showed up. It was Ahab's prophets because uh, Jehoshaphat and Ahab were getting together to fight together. That's when the kingdom was divided. Those two kings were going to get their armies and people together to go fight against Syria to reclaim some property or some land that the Syrians had taken. It was really theirs. And, and so uh, Jehoshaphat said, let's call in a prophet and see if we're to do this or not. If we're going to be successful. And Ahab says, okay. Now remember, he's a Baal worshiper and follows his wife Jezebel and all of her influence. Well, they call his 400 prophets and every one of them to the man says, oh yes, you know, go forth, you're going to prosper. It's going to be wonderful. You know, you're going to do this. And one of them made uh, horns out of iron and, and, and even gave a, a demonstration and said, with these, you're going to push the Syrians until you have consumed them. Wow, 400 of them. One, two, you start counting them. Your turn. They all prophesy 400 to the man. This is what's going to happen. Jehoshaphat knows something's up. And he says, don't you have any real prophet of God here? He goes, well, there's one, but I hate him. Okay, I hate him. Don't say that, Jehoshaphat says. Well, I hate him. He never prophesies good for me, only evil. Well, would you get him, please? Okay, so they run. The servants say, look. All the other prophets prophesied, good, you better do the same. He goes, I can only do what God tells me to do. 
Why? Because he's a real prophet. Is he in the, in the uh, majority? No, he's not. Not by a long shot. But he's got God with him. That makes the majority right there. But we know the story. And he comes and he, he first he just kind of goes along with it. And says, oh yeah, y'all going to do great. And Jehoshaphat says, tell me the truth. He says, let me tell you the truth. He says, God, I saw the Lord. And that was different from him and all those 400 prophets. He saw the Lord. When he saw the Lord, he knew the truth. He saw the truth. He heard the truth. And he had something to say that was true from God. That's how we need to be. And we have the truth of God right here. It's forever settled in heaven. And there are true men and women of God that the Lord has raised up. But anyway, he spoke the truth. And he said, I saw Israel scattered like a bunch of sheep all over the hillside. They're going to be consumed. And Ahab says, didn't I tell you? This guy, he's not going to prophesy good. And, and uh, he says, well, if you come again in peace, then the Lord didn't send me at all. You know, if you really come again in peace, he goes, send this man, Micaiah, and send him back to prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and until I return in peace. And Micaiah says, if I come in peace, then my prophecy's wrong. God didn't send me. But we know he did. That, my, my point is that it's not the point of the majority. It's not the point of popularity. It's not the point of having 500 other pastors pat you on the back and say this is wonderful and having your articles published and, and this and that. It's the point of the truth. It's the point, and there is a truth. In the midst of all the false, we talk about it all the time, big strong wind blows and all the false goes away. And guess what? The truth is undaunted. It's still there. still remains. still stands as powerful and strong and stable as ever. You can write a thousand false versions of the Bible and manipulate it to say what you want. It doesn't take away the fact that there is truth. We just have to find it. If we find the Lord and are filled with the Spirit of truth, He's going to guide us into all truth. Now, I don't always spend this much time, but I want to spend time on this. Uh, I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. Keep your place in, in 2 Peter and turn it back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. This whole chapter and a lot of Jeremiah is similar you know, in exposing and rebuking the false prophets of their day, of Israel's day. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I am going to read a good bit of it. And I want you to just follow along with me. We're going to start in verses 1 and 2, and then we'll skip down to verse 14. Jeremiah 23, 1 and 2. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep. Is that what a pastor is supposed to do? To destroy and scatter the sheep. They get fired in a hurry, right? The shepherd is to, and that's what a pastor is, to tend to the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. He's not a hireling. He doesn't flee when he sees the wolf coming or the lion coming. He says, but woe to those that do. They scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings saith the Lord. Are they going to get away with it? Absolutely not. Did they get away with it? Now those men have long since died. Those pastors uh, have not gotten away with it and nor will any. Skip down to verse 14. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers and none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. And we know what God did and how he judged those cities. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness going forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision, listen, of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Micaiah was different, right? Just like there's true, there's false. And just like there's false, there's true. And he said they're speaking. What are they speaking? And this is what Peter's talking about as well. We'll get into it more in the coming weeks. They're speaking 
out of their own hearts, out of their own minds, out of their own imaginations. They might mix it with truth. We're going to talk about that as well. That makes it more effective, okay, and more dangerous. They say still unto them that despise me. The Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. This is what the false prophets say, and they despise the Lord. But they say, the Lord has said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Let's skip down to verse uh, 21 and 22. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Verse 25. I have heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people. Listen, this is serious. This is what they think to do. They're not just ignorant. They're not just silly and oh, they, get, they take it a little too far or something like that. These are prophets who have not heard the counsel of the God of the Lord. They did not stand in the counsel of God. They're prophesying out of the evil of their own hearts and their evil imaginations. And on top of that, they have a goal. They have a purpose which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor as their fathers have forgotten me, my name for Baal. A couple more scriptures, 30 through 32. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I'm against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he saith. Behold, I'm against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. The last we'll read is 39 and 40 at the end of the chapter. Therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you and will forsake you. So now he's speaking not only the prophets, but the people. Okay, he's, he's going to judge them. If they don't repent and turn to him. And I will forsake you in the city that I gave you and your fathers and cast you out of my presence. And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. Do you think that the Lord takes it seriously? There's a lot in the Bible about this. Okay? I just, this is what the Lord gave us for tonight. But God takes it very seriously. Uh, I know that there is the, uh, what they call the, uh, the latter day prophet movement. It comes and goes, it, it kind of comes and goes. Kansas City prophets, uh, the Latter Day prophets, uh, the, the IHOP is big with that. The International House of Prayer in, it's involved with Bethel Church and Bethel music, and all of it. You know, you start looking at they all overlap and link and run in the same circles. But but one of the one of the things that they and I've known this you know years 20, 30 years ago hearing about the Kansas City prophets and the Latter Day prophets and so forth that uh, they they believe in the young prophets being trained and they make mistakes here and there it's okay they're just learning if I make a mistake or you make a mistake in life that's one thing but if I'm saying thus saith the Lord okay I'll give you an example this past Sunday I preached and I was talking about Jesus had 70 disciples remember and then uh, when he preached a certain sermon and some stopped following him I got my math wrong okay somebody pointed it out to me and I was glad that they did. I said, oh, uh, after, after that, you know, 54 left and he was left with 12. We all know that 54 and 12 don't ever equal 70. OK, <laughs> so I got an A in math. I did really well, but I blew that. But, but I, we understand my point. That's not I'm telling you that that was a mistake in my math, not in my doctrine. Amen. But the Kansas City prophets are believing that you 
These prophets can prophesy personal prophecies like come up and lay their hands on Sherry. Here's what God said. You're to do this, this, and this and move here and sell all you have. The Lord showed me, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Or this is getting ready to happen in our country and in our world. And they put all this uh, importance in this stock, so to speak, and these prophets and these prophecies. And if they mess up or make some mistakes, they're just learning. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. If I'm going to get in this pulpit, it's a fearful thing. James says they don't desire to be too many teachers and preachers and so forth because you're going you to answer to me for that. I mean, it's a joy. I'm not complaining. It's a, it's a privilege. But I've got to stay on my face and my knees before the Lord. And I'm accountable to God. Okay? I'm accountable to you as believers because you're the part of the body of Christ. And you're accountable to me to come and say, hey, you misadded that. It's not 54. Okay? But more importantly, you misspoke that about the Lord. That's not what the Scripture means and so forth. So we hold each other accountable. But this is not, as I said, someone who out of ignorance. And, and I think about this, for example, the Bible speaks of Apollos in the New Testament. Okay? He was a contemporary with Priscilla and Aquila and Paul and Barnabas and Saul. And they ran across him, I forgot where. Uh, Apollos was mighty in the Scriptures. And he was eloquent. And he preached the Scriptures correctly up until the baptism of John. So is that wrong, so to speak? Was he preaching anything false? Was he preaching anything wrong? Was he preaching any lies or heresies or trying to steer people away from God? He was not. There was an ignorance, I guess you would say. He was walking in the light that he had. He was not a false prophet. He was preaching correctly as far as everything he knew. And all he knew was that the Savior's going to come, y'all. The Savior's going to come. John the Baptist told, foretold of him. He preached all the way through John the Baptist. And so Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, they said, okay, come here, Apollos. Let me tell you, he's come. He's come. He came, he suffered and died on the cross, just like the Word of God said. He rose again in power. He's poured out the baptism of His Holy Spirit. He has a church body. We're bringing this gospel all over. And guess what Apollos does? Yay! He's so excited to hear it. And instantly, because he's already walked in the light that he had and the truth that he had, he just picks up right there and now he's got the whole thing. And he starts preaching that and he goes with them and he's preaching and teaching right away. Because he received and he believed and his heart was ready. He wasn't a false prophet. There was an ignorance, I guess if you would call it ignorance, of what he knew. The amount of light that he had. Okay, And he preached faithfully and walked faithfully in what he knew, which was true. But he just didn't know about Christ coming already. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, but now, Christ, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. And that's the Gospel that Apollo should have been preaching, but he didn't know it. Now he knows it. He doesn't fight and buck against it and argue. He starts preaching that and living that himself. So there's a big difference between someone just in ignorance walking in that way and in, uh, in rebellion and something deceitful with a specific goal in mind to lead people away. Uh, I just want to, you can turn back there. We're, we're through reading Jeremiah. Turn back to 2 Peter. Look what he says, and I'm skipping way ahead. In, in chapter 2, verses 13, 12 and 13, but these as natural brute beasts, he's still speak, speaking of the prophets, false prophets, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. The point of this is they're not going to get away. There's going to be equally measured out from God as He sees fit as the just judge to punish them for what they're doing. They're not getting away with it. They didn't get away with it in the Old Testament. The false prophets in Micaiah's day, the 400 of them, didn't get away with it. Uh, they don't. We, they don't get away with it. Verse 13, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. I'll just stop there as far as that passage goes. But remember we've studied in, in our... I can't remember when it was, but I, I did a couple of sermons the Lord gave me on... Uh, on deception and false prophet. That's been something that the Lord has put on my heart a lot over the years because 
uh, it's, it's not a theme. If you look, it's not a majority of what I preach, but it is something that I preach regularly because I believe it's needed. And I believe it's not needed one time and then, all right, that'll carry our church for the next 25 years. It's something that's needed and we see it over and over in the Scriptures. Where we just happen to be studying Second Peter and this is what he's talking about here. And so uh, there were false prophets and there shall be false prophets. And we gave two tests. I'm not going to go back over them in detail, but I do want to give you the Scriptures in case you missed it. What are two tests of a false prophet? And they're both found, both of these, and, and there's other Scriptures, but in Deuteronomy. First one, Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. And it simply says this, two tests of a false prophet. There could be others, but this is primary. Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. Whatever, whatever they prophesy in the name of the Lord does not come to pass. How about that? Pretty simple, right? They say, thus saith the Lord, tomorrow at this time, such and such is going to happen. Tomorrow at this time, it doesn't happen. Uh, they said it was the Lord. They said, well, God's not confused and God's not making a mistake. They said it was the Lord. That is a false prophecy spoken by a false prophet. doesn't matter if we like him or not or think he's a swell guy. It, it's a false prophet. And a lot of y'all in here are too young to remember, but many of you remember in 1988, eight reasons the rapture is going to take place in 1988. Y'all remember that? I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for a while. Clarissa remembers. Big book. It was promoted. A lot of uh, fanfare. A lot of hoopla. A lot of talk came. Getting towards the end of 1987. Okay. Uh, the eight reasons the Lord's going to come in 88. He didn't come in 88. The rapture. Okay. He didn't come. We didn't miss it. We don't have to be troubled by that. But that is a false prophet and a false prophecy. I didn't study the guy a whole lot or anything like that. But I'm just, just on that right there. That's all I would need to know. I don't need to follow him. I don't need to give him the benefit of the doubt on something like that. I'm not going to have to get him. I don't even remember his name. I'm just saying that was a false prophecy and a false prophet. And uh, it didn't come to pass, but he sold a lot of books. Okay? Making merchandise of you. Isn't that what, what uh, Peter is saying here? By the Holy Spirit. All right, number one. Chest of a false prophet. What they say and prophesy in the name of the Lord does not come to pass. Second one, found in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. Okay? They speak in the name of the Lord. It may come to pass, but they don't speak rightly of God as a whole. And they lead people away from the Lord. Now that one's a lot more tricky, I guess you would say. That one we need to be tuned in and dialed in and know God ourselves and walk with Him. So if I'm following this guy over here and what he said came to pass, but I notice my Savior's way back over here. The Word of God says this over here and, and I'm walking somewhere way over here now. He's got me doing things I would have never done that I thought used to think were unbiblical. Saying things, thinking things, singing things that I thought were unbiblical. And, but but he said, what He said came to pass, at least in that instant, instance so he must be a true prophet but the bible says they don't speak rightly of me so as a whole he he said something that came true okay and so that doesn't mean he's a holy man of god speaking the word of god we have other tests as well and he this man that these false prophet doesn't speak rightly of me so as a whole they're not leading people. And he says, they don't, they're not leading them to me. They're not leading them in a way that's right, in a worship that's right, in a belief that's right, in a practice that's right, even though what they said in my name came to pass. So we, the Bible says we need to know those that labor among us. So this one would be a little harder, I guess, to discern, but it still is able to be discerned. Okay? It's not impossible. It's not, oh, well, I'll never figure that one out. You will figure that one out. The Holy Ghost in you is going to figure it out. The Word of God is going to pinpoint it. All right? And the Lord's going to show us. And you know Christ and you walk with Christ. And if you see somebody ver veering off and taking another slightly different course, you know, even though they say some wonderful things and even some of their prophecies come to pass, here's the rock. Here's the truth. Here's the light. 
of His Word. Stay in the light. Walk in the light as He is in the light we preach. And we'll have fellowship one with another. With another. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So we don't have to worry about that, okay? We have to be concerned if we're the ones speaking in the name of the Lord, it's important that we speak the truth. I'm very cautious, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm just telling you, I try to be very cautious. I try to be. But say, well, the Lord showed me this. The Lord showed me this. I don't just throw that around. He showed me this. Okay? So I can preach that all day long without ever having to say, the Lord showed me this. There are times the Lord does show me things just like He shows you things. Okay? And I'm not afraid of that. I thank the Lord that He does show me things personally. But I'm going to be very cautious to that and very careful about that. And I think we all should be. Again, uh, Paul said in Galatians 1.10, he says, Do I yet now please men or God? If I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. It's one or the other. You know, it's one or the other. But these false prophets, their goal is to please men. That's not their ultimate goal. The ultimate goal, uh, I mean, their goal is to please men, to get a lot of people following them, and to make merchandise of them. And ultimately, it's going to lead people astray. So there's steps to it along the way. And uh, anyway, when it says that they, they're coming in privately, uh, privily bring in uh, damnable heresies, and, and 2 Peter 1, ver, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, now again, that means secretly or cunningly. Damnable heresies means spiritual destruction. A heresy is not actually just what you might first think. Heresy, instantly, I would think false doctrine, something blasphemies, blasphemous. I think it would include that. But the actual word in the Greek means a disunion. A dis- it brings a division. It brings a disunion. And it gives a couple more words there. A sect, like the sect of the Pharisees or this particular sect within Judaism. There's Judaism as a whole, but within Judaism there's a sect of the Sadducees or the Pharisees. And another was a party. I think, I think of it like a political party. In our republic here in our country, there are different parties. Okay, Each one wants to draw the people after them. Now that's just a carnal illustration. But that's really the, the, the meaning behind heresy. Okay? Damnable heresies, though, means these are going to end in destruction of a man's soul. These are serious. This is not political parties. This is not, uh, you know, divisions within a group. This is divisions that bring, uh, bring damnation to the soul. Even, as I said, resulting in the ultimate would be denying the Lord that bought them. Paul told, uh, he gathered all the elders of the churches together around Ephesus before uh, his third missionary journey, okay, in the book of Acts. He was not going to see them anymore. He knew he was about to go back to Jerusalem, and, and that was going to be the beginning of the end for Paul. He'd be arrested, you know, shuffled around from prison to prison, Caesarea and so forth, ultimately die in Rome. He wasn't going to see these believers anymore. Where he had started, brought the gospel. And they got saved and pastors were raised up in churches. So his third trip, he gets them together and he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers or shepherds to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Well, I'm saying that because he he gave the same kind of warning. Feed them. He's telling the true shepherds, feed them. All right. Feed them with the word, the truth. And. And it says that these are going to come to these false prophets, Peter said, are going to come to a point where they deny the Lord that bought them. And Paul says, feed the flock which the Lord purchased with his own blood. Denying the Lord that bought them or feeding the flock that the Lord purchased with his own blood. It's his sheep. It's his church. It's his body. He knows how to take care of them. It's his gospel. It's his word. Popular or unpopular is still the truth. He knows how to do it. Amen? And he warns severely and strongly against anything else. Let's look at a couple more Scriptures. Uh, When it says denying the Lord that bought them, 
in verse 1. That does not simply mean that they're going to say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Those words. Okay? That's easy to say. What it is going to be is in their practice and in their overall ministry and doctrine and their practice, it's going to be a denial that they really belong to the Lord. They're not going to walk in His ways. Look at 1 John. Turn with me to 1 John. Uh, chapter 4. We, we, we know this Scripture very well. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they, be, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets. Here's another. Uh, we Peter, John, they all speak of them. Many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. That doesn't simply mean a person that says Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. It doesn't say every spirit that says Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. It says every spirit, spirit that confesses that. That is the Holy Spirit. That is uh, no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit, the Bible says. And that's important to know that. Nobody can really call Him and mean it in their hearts except by revelation of the Holy Ghost. Confess means to agree with God. doesn't say every, everybody that says Jesus didn't come in the flesh is not of God. It says every spirit that confesses not. Confesses not means they agree with God. I agree with it all. I agree with everything the Word of God says about my Savior. I believe it. I agree with it. And whoever does not confess that is not of God. Alright? And so... I'm going to keep reading. Uh, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. It's the spirit of Antichrist. It's not necessarily the Antichrist. And even now already is in the world. Verse 6, we are of God. Now he's not bragging. He just knows. John know, knew he knew the Lord. He's not arrogant to say, I know Christ. I really know Him. You know, it's wonderful to be able to say that. Some people can say it and it's not true. You can say it and it be true. And it's not arrogant. We are of God. He that knoweth God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let's say somebody is like John walking in the truth. Are they sinless? Are they perfect? Did they not need a Savior? No. John was a sinner saved by the grace of God. We did know God and he walked with God. Let's say there's a group of people that call themselves believers that don't want to hear anything John has to say. We don't believe anything he says. Well, you can say, well, it's their choice. They can go to whatever church they want. It is their choice. But that's what we're talking about here. John says, by the Holy Ghost, he that hears us is of God. He that doesn't hear us is not of God. I mean, that's, that's pretty simple. And it's pretty significant. He wasn't being arrogant. If he was a false prophet, he could have said the same thing. But he wasn't. Okay? He wasn't. I'm not afraid to, to try to look in into it and discern what's of God or not. He gives us the spirit of truth and he gives us his word. And he reveals these things to us. Uh, Paul said, thou, This thou knowest, that all they that are in Asia be turned away from me. So there came a point in ministers that... Uh, are believers in Paul's life in Asia. There came a point late in his life. He wrote that at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And they all turned away from the Apostle Paul. I would say that they probably turned away from the Lord as well. Because as far as we can read, Paul didn't apostatize. Paul didn't fall away from the Lord. So if they're no longer and they want nothing to do with Paul anymore, maybe they're following other people and other teachers in the name of the Lord, but they've turned away from Paul who's in the light and walking in the light and in the truth and preaches the truth and tells his man, Timothy, you hold to sound doctrine and continue in it and preach it to others and use it. Uh, and now Paul's doing that and discipling others and living that way himself and somebody doesn't want anything to do with Paul anymore in his life. They turned away from me, he said. I would say they left the Lord, right? They've walked away from the truth and from the Lord. And so... That denying, as I said, it's not just saying Jesus didn't come in the flesh or I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Uh, there was a Methodist bishop, contemporary, I don't know exactly when, but in our lifetimes. 
Methodist Bishop Gerald Kennedy. He said, I am frank to confess that the statement, here's the statement, that Christ is God does not please me. And it seems far from satisfactory. I would much prefer to have it say that God was in Christ. So the Methodist preacher is a Methodist, a Christian religion as a whole. Is it known as that? Yes, it is. This man would be known as a pastor in a Christian church. Now, this is not a condemnation on every Methodist. All right. This is this man. I gave his name, Gerald Kennedy. And he says, I don't like the statement that Christ is God. It's not doesn't please me and it's not satisfactory to me. I would prefer X, Y, Z. That's that's not denying the Lord in words necessarily, because he could say a lot of wonderful things about Jesus. He's the son of God. He's this. He's that. But that is denying the Lord of who he is and his deity. And if you're still in first John, it's one of my favorite scriptures I go to if I'm witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or someone else. Uh, that says they know the Lord, but it's obvious they don't know the Lord. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which He has testified of His Son. There is a witness that God, or a witness means a record or testimony. There is a record that God gave of His Son. And guess what? That's the one I need to believe. I don't need to believe the one that's popular over here or popular in 2018 or popular in America in this day or popular. I need to believe the one that God gave of his son. There might be a lot of other testimonies of Christ. The Muslims have a testimony of Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a testimony of Christ. The, The Mormons have a testimony of Christ. The good old boy that lives in your neighborhood that doesn't know Jesus, but says he's a Christian and going to go to heaven when he dies. He's got a testimony of Christ. Everybody's got a testimony of Christ. It doesn't really matter. I need to know this one. God gave a record of His Son. He says He was born of a virgin. He said He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah and came through that tribe. He said He was born in Bethlehem because there was no room in the inn. He says He made His death with the rich and 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 the wicked and hung between two thieves. He said these things about His Son. Okay? And so that's the record I need to believe. He that believeth on the Son of God, verse 10, hath this witness in himself. So when I give my life to Christ and believe with the saving faith and believe in Jesus, I've got that same testimony in me. I don't, have, I don't know all 66 major prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus by heart, references and how they were fulfilled. I've got a sheet of paper that tells me and it's wonderful. Okay, But the point is I have that testimony in myself and so do you. Everyone that believes in the Lord. He that believeth not God has made him a liar. Because listen, he believed not the record that God gave of his son. That's the record I need to believe. So we can hold to that Bible. You know, Barack Obama ridiculed believers. Christians say they cling to their Bibles and their guns. I do. I cling to my Bible at least. I got some guns. But I cling to my Bible. Okay? And I cling to it. It is that important to me. And I'm going to hold on to it. And if I forget something, I'll read it and it'll refresh my memory, my spiritual memory, and bring it back to remind my mind. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Hallelujah. I needed to read that today because that's the God that I serve. That's a testimony God gave of His Son. And I have that testimony that's the true record of God in me as a believer. And I thank the Lord for it. Amen. Amen. I'll just keep reading a little bit more. Uh, These are not simply ignorant people, the false prophets that Peter's speaking of. They're not simply uh, con artists, although some some people are just trying to make make a buck, but they are uh, used by Satan. Okay, they're used by Satan. I'm going to read from a commentary that I have been studying. These false teachers take their place inside the church. How many of you know that? I've preached that for years and years. I believe that. I preached a series, deception in the church. Not deception outside of the church, although there's plenty of that as well. But that doesn't affect the believers. We can look outside and say it's over there. I see it. Long way off. Okay? Stay away from that. But there's deception in the church. And these false prophets and false teachers take their place inside the church. They pose as ministers of the gospel. 
You know what I mean by pose? Pretend to be. Act like it. Dress like it. And that's what makes the danger so great. But they're masters of deception because they're being led by Satan, who is a deceiver. Well, I like them, but they're nice and this, that and the other. At that moment in their lives or season, or maybe they spend the rest of their lives, they are deceived and being deceived. They're deceivers, deceiving and being deceived. This is not just flesh and blood. Oh, I can figure him out. You can't figure him out. There's some spirit behind it. They're seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It's bigger than, it's not good old brother so and so. There's a spirit behind it. Right. Not the point of we like them or love them or known them since they were a child. It's the point of what are they saying now? What is their pattern? Where are they leading me? Where are we going? What are they preaching? What are they teaching? What, what's their lifestyle like in private? What's their prayer life like? Have they changed from the truth that they once preached? Uh, they're masters of deception. They carry their Bible, use orthodox expressions, though using them to mean something entirely different. Have you noticed that in your Christian life? Somebody, uh, a preacher, a teacher, a visiting preacher, an uh, uh, article you might read, a sermon you might listen to online, they might use the same word that you're comfortable with because you know it from the church, but they don't mean what you mean by it. Tell you what else they do. Once they get to a certain point of indoctrinating people into something false, then they're not afraid to bring in the false words. Spiritual formation and, and, and uh, transformational glory and, and all these different kind of words. You're like, wow, that's amazing. But what is it? What does it mean? What are they speaking of? Where is that in the Bible? I studied a big, thick Bible on just a conservative laying out doctrines of the Bible. Just repentance, the blood of Jesus, the whole bit. Wonderful. I love stuff like that. Not a lot of bells and whistles. Just the doctrines of the Bible. And it says in the very beginning of this 400-page book, use, doctrine, use biblical words to represent biblical truths. And I love that. And I highlighted that in my Bible. I'd have always known that. I never saw it written in a book. But I've known that. Use biblical words to express biblical truths. If it was good enough for the Holy Ghost to give us the Word of God, which He did, it's good enough for hearers of all times. I don't have to change it up and make it mystical and woo-woo and this is something you never heard before and your hair stand up on the back of your neck. It's, it's God's Word. Amen? And so uh, there's a, uh, the president of a liberal theological seminary, it doesn't tell me which one, acknowledge this very truth about how they'll slip it in. They'll use the same words, but use different meanings for those words. Here's what the president of a liberal theological seminary said. Churches often change convictions. That's serious, right? If your church changes its convictions. We used to think uh, sex outside of marriage was sin and wrong. But now we don't believe so anymore because of God's grace. You know, I'm just giving that for an example. I'm just totally throwing that out. The churches often change convictions without formally renouncing them. These views that they were previously committed to. And their theologians usually find ways of preserving continuity with the past through reinterpretation. I know it's a, uh, it, it makes sense. It sounds like how a communist would work. You know what I'm saying? To get into people that love their freedom and love their liberties and get in there amongst them and start to, start to work. Gain their confidence, gain their comfort and lead them eventually to something, their convictions. They look back and, man, 25 years ago, that seems like a long way away. We're not the same people. Our convictions are different. Our morals are different. What we preach, what we proclaim. Think about that in a church, though. That's serious stuff. Yeah. It's serious stuff. I'm the Lord. I change not. So why are my convictions changing? Is the God of the Old Testament a different God than the New Testament? I'm the Lord. I change not. Are there different covenants? Yes. Very clearly. And through the covenant of Christ, we're part of that new covenant. Hallelujah. But God hasn't changed. Okay, His love for mankind hasn't changed. But you'll hear that it has. He didn't love people in the Old Testament. He was a harsh God in the Old Testament. Okay, He wanted to send men to hell in the Old Testament. Show me that Scripture. Because I can look in the Old Testament where He says, look unto Me and be saved. Where He gave them a serpent of brass on a stick. And that represented Christ. You know, and they, all that looked were healed. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But He has pleasure that men turn to Him and are saved. 
That I see in the Old Testament. He's not a different God, but you're, you're told this by a lot of people. And uh, uh, W.A. Criswell describes the false teacher as follows. A suave, affable, personable, scholarly man who claims to be the friend of Christ. I'm not saying everyone's like this. These are the most effective ones, I would say that. Claims to be the friend of Christ. He preaches in the pulpit. He writes learned books. He publishes articles in religious magazines. He attacks Christianity from within. It is deliberately a deliberate, deceptive mixture of truth and error. If I stood up here tonight, and I've said it before, they said there were four, four people in the Godhead, or 15, or nine, like Benny Hinn says, then you would throw me out on my ear and I would want you to. But what if I mix some truth with some error? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Doesn't have to be a lot. Accumulates over time, doesn't it? We talk about this kind of stuff. And I love this quote. The devil is never more satanic than when he is carrying a Bible. Never more satanic than when he's carrying a Bible. That's the most effective ones for sure. Now, I'm going to be bringing this to a close, y'all. But um, he says that, uh, I'll just read this from Jesus saying, Beware of false prophets, Matthew 7, 15, which come to you, how? In sheep's clothing. We get tired. We think these are corny old little examples. But God saw fit to give us that. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening or ravening wolves. Okay? And it's false. I want, I want to read a couple more scriptures. I'll bring this to a close. Thank you all for being patient tonight. I want to give a good introduction to this chapter. In Acts 20... 29 through 31. You can turn if you want. I'm going to go ahead and read it. For I know this. This is Paul's conversation with those pastors that he said he wasn't going to see anymore. And he didn't. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in where? Among you. And not outside the door throwing rocks and setting it on fire. There's something a whole lot more effective. How about I get in there and change their beliefs and lead them away from Christ? That'd be a whole lot more effective, right? Than burning down a building. That's never stopped God's church once. Persecution has not stopped the church of the Lord. It's actually been a fertilizer that's helped spread it. But this kind of stuff, if we give heed to it, is going to bring our ruin and the ruin of those that hear us and follow us. They're going to enter in among you not sparing the flock. They're not playing games, although they look like it. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I see, was it important to Paul? Was it part of his ministry? Did he only preach grace, 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 grace? He preached grace everywhere he went. Hallelujah. Even this is grace though. Okay? Uh, Don't you forget that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. I'm warned, warned y'all. And this is the last time he saw them. He says, I now commend you to the grace of God. God's going to have to take care of you. But I'm warning you. And remember that I've been warning you. This is serious stuff. What does Paul say in the last chapter, the last epistle he wrote before he was martyred for the Lord? Now, he says that uh, I beseech you, you know, before, before God, who's going to judge the quick and the dead, is it coming and appearing? Preach the word. Time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but shall heap unto themselves teachers having engineers, and they'll turn their ears from their truth, and they'll be turned unto fables. It's important, okay? It's important. It still happens. He said that they were going to enter in among them, right? These wolves not sparing the flock. Is it still happening in our day? Absolutely. This would be a false if it... If, if it wasn't still happening in our day, if we didn't need to st- take take heed, I remember being in a prayer meeting, and I'll, I'll probably just close with this. I remember being in a prayer meeting in another church where I actually heard someone say, and I heard almost everyone at the prayer meeting, "Amen," what this person said, that we don't have to worry about being deceived because Jesus loves us. We don't have to worry about being deceived because. We, Jesus loves us and, and so-and-so is our leader. That's serious, y'all. 
Jesus loves everybody. He loves people that are lost. It's not the point of worrying about being deceived. It's the point of heeding what the Word of God says and said, I need to keep those spiritual radar up. I am to study to show myself approved. That's my responsibility. That's not just my pastors. That's my responsibility. Pray for your pastor, okay? Pray for pastors. Pray for leaders, okay? But the point is, that statement shows a total disregard. It sounds warm and fuzzy and nice. We don't have to worry about ever being deceived because Jesus loves us. Well, He loves lost people that are going to hell. He loved Demas who went astray and left Paul. He loved all those in Asia that turned from Paul. You understand my point? It's not the point of Him loving. What is the loving God given us? He's given us a Bible in the Word of God. And in loving God has given us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth. And warning after warning after warning after warning after warning. Take heed that no man deceive you. Many false prophets shall come in my name. Jesus said, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. It's going to happen. Oh, but Lord, you love us, so it's not going to happen. He just said it's going to happen. Okay? I don't live in fear of being deceived, and I don't believe God wants any of us to. I know He doesn't. But I am not also going to throw that part of the doctrine out, that part of the Bible out, that part of my spiritual maturity or of my life with Christ out the window because somebody says I should. The Lord saw fit to, to name it time and time and time and time again. We're going to look at three examples next week when we get into it. I don't live in fear of it. God doesn't want you to live in fear of it. God is going to reward the righteous for living for Him. He is going to reward those false prophets as well and those that follow them. Okay, He says they bring upon themselves swift destruction. He said it seems like it's lingering it seems that way. Like, if you, we looked around at false prophets, I named some, Benny Hinn or whoever, you want to name a few, and they're still doing fine. They're still packing out arenas all over the place. You think God doesn't see? We know better. I know that that's not the case. He says it. Their, their judgment, let's close with that verse. 2 Peter 1, uh, 2, 3. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. Verse 2, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness and with feigned words, they're going to make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. It seems that way. The point is, and that kind of phraseology, it might be hard to pick up. The point is, it seems like it's lingering. It seems like it's uh, the Lord slumbering, and they're getting away with it and slipping under the radar, but it's not. There's going to be swift and speedy destruction. It's just in God's time. He would much rather than repent, right? Much rather. Because He is a loving God. Confess, repent, come clean, come out of it, be forgiven. Every one of them can. But those that don't, the judgment is going to come. It's going to come swift. And it's swift destruction upon themselves. Indeed, you can come. But y'all, I want us uh, to... I don't want to be... Uh, uh, a group of people, and y'all know me and I know y'all, that we would hunker down like in a, a bomb shelter somewhere waiting for the rapture because we don't want to be deceived. We're afraid to stick our noses out, afraid to ever listen to another preacher or read a Christian book or go to and visit another church sometime when you're on vacation or whatever. Uh, God, we're not to live that way, okay? But at the same time, everywhere I go, in this church and everywhere else I go, I need to be... Uh, a student of the Word. I need to be walking closely to the Lord. I need to know that God took time and thought and placed great importance in warning us of this, of false prophets. There were false prophets, Peter said. There will be false prophets. And they want to make merchandise of you. They want to make merchandise of you and they want to lead you astray. It's not you against them. It's a spirit of Antichrist that denies the Lord that we spoke of and the Holy Spirit. It's not personal. I don't hate them, so to speak. I hate what they're doing and God would judge them if they don't repent. I don't have to hate them. God will take care of that. 
I want them to repent. And, and let's guard ourselves. Let's guard our children. Let's guard our lives. Let's not think this is old-fashioned, old-timey. Uh, it's not. It's the Word of God. And there's the spirit of Antichrist that's going to be ramped up even more and more and more until the real Antichrist, the one spoken of in the Word of God, reveals himself. We'll be in heaven by then, hallelujah, with the Lord. But it's all building to that, okay, to where he's accepted when he comes. So that, that spirit's already at work in the world. And uh, I know I preached a long time tonight, y'all. But uh, I just believe this is what God had for us tonight. Can you take some time?